Welcome to Duffin number episode uh, 41 and 42-ish. <laughs> because we were just discussing if we want to make it 42 already because we've been uh, trying to get the answers uh, for um, life, universe and everything with uh, Mr. Timothy Baldridge. Hello. So, welcome to the episode. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if I'll be able to provide any answers to life, the universe, <laughs> or anything, but uh, it's great to be here. We're looking for anything. Come on. <laughs> yes, something. <laughs> so, um, before we start, uh, we just want to, uh, I think uh, we wanted to say thank you to the people who are supporting us, uh, especially on Patreon. Uh, Ray, do you have a uh, couple of members that you want to say thank you to? Yeah, I mean, actually, it's quite phenomenal, actually. We've got like over 20 members now. And um, so it's pretty amazing, you know, the response to, from the community to to uh, to this request. And, um, you know, people are being very generous. So, yeah, I want to thank some of the longer sponsors. And what we'll do is we'll try and make a few name calls um, for every episode because we can't go through every one of them now, you know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I want to make a call out to the guys that have been doing it for the longest. Um, and that's um, Claudio, 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 Claudio. <laughs> you know who you are. Yes. <laughs> um, and to Sebastian and to Arturas, uh, to Norman and to Ruben. Um, you know, these guys have supported us for the longest time and uh, their generous generosity is amazing. So, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, and, thanks a uh, lot. So we'll, 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 we'll definitely call out a few more people on the next episode. Um, but this is great. It helps us to cover the costs and, um, you know, maybe we'll... We'll have a look at some. Uh, we, we've we've already sent Wouter to a conference in Berlin, and now he's a closure programmer. So you know the love is being spread, which is good. Uh, so we are, we are we are paying people to <laughs> get into closure. It someone's got to this. Now. <laughs> someone's got to do this. <laughs> yes. Anyway, yeah, no, it's really great. Thanks everyone. Really good yeah, stuff. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yes. Thanks to everyone else who's doing it as well, and we definitely will get to everyone on the list. Exactly. So let's get on uh, into the episode now. Um, so, Tim, uh, first, can you give us some idea about what you're working on? Of course, there are lots of uh, closure libraries that you that you built over the period, and you are a full-time closure programmer as well. Yes, working on closure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I currently uh, work for Cisco uh, here in um, in the U.S. and uh, I work on their threat grid team, which is uh, we kind of do analysis of malware. Um, and um, in some fairly innovative ways. Uh, and I work on a team that indexes the, the data that we extract out of viruses and the like and um, uh, in, you know, index it and, and present it in a way that can be easily searched and that sort of thing. So that's my day job. Um, I tend to do a fair amount of database um, programming, logic database, that sort of stuff um, there as well, query engines and that, that sort of thing. Um, and that's... For about half a year now, that's been about what I've spent a lot of my time on. Um, uh, about, um, I, I moved on from Cognitect, uh, I guess it'd be about eight, uh, ten months ago, um, and kind of mm -hmm. just took a break from open source at that point. It's like, you know, I've been doing open source on the side for a while, and hmm. it's, once in a while, it's just nice to sit down and just do work and keep it at work, you know? <laughs> uh, but I always I always have hobby projects and stuff kicking around that, uh, you know, stuff programming languages but, and the like I like to hack on but uh, what, yeah. what was your programming journey to 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 get to this point yeah uh, with the with the languages yeah uh, hold on 
You must have started off with some crap, so let's let's get the <laughs> yeah get that out of yeah, exactly. let's get out of the way, you know. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, I started programming back when I was uh, ten and a half, and I found a book in the library mm. on how to program BASIC, and this was BASIC with the line oh, numbers, yeah. right? You know, um, and the funny thing was is at that time, which would have been early nineties, I guess, um, like those versions of BASIC didn't exist anymore. Like it was like Z80, Z80 basic and I forget app or acorn and some of this other stuff, you know, and here I am in DOS with GW basic. Right. So um, (laughs) I I was like hand translating out of these books and, and, you know, well, that that thing doesn't exist in this version of basic. But uh, uh, not too long after that. And it was actually cool is is my dad encouraged me a lot in in that sort of thing, too. So growing up, my dad worked at a um, at a university where computers were kind of like scientific equipment and stuff. Um, so, you know, yeah. we, we were one of those families that always had a computer in the home, but not because, you know, I was a millennial. It was just because like, <laughs> you know, my dad built a Z80 from scratch. And so let's, you know, we now have that in the house. Um, but uh, so, yeah, um, from there moved on to, um, to QBasic and learned, you know, functions. What are those? Why do I need functions when I have go to, um, and, uh, from there, you know, C Python, uh, a little bit of C plus plus in there. And then, um, really though, I think, so that was all the way up through high school and I started doing it work and kind of got mm-hmm. to a point where it was like, do I want to do it support or programming? And I found myself enjoying programming more and more and, and just kind of focusing on that. So I think, um, most of my work at that time was in Python, just small, scripts and stuff visual basic um Hmm. and uh and from there i worked with microsoft for a while and that was where i learned c sharp which is kind of you know hey you got to learn c sharp or java at some point and uh so that's that kind of uh got me into the mainstream programming uh but around that time is when i discovered erlang so erlang was my first functional programming language and um You know, what I found fascinating about that is, uh, and I encourage people to do this with any language like closure or whatever is like, I remember reading about Erlang. Hey, this is a language where you don't share memory. There's no such thing as an if Mm -hmm. statement and we don't have loops. And you're like, well, how do you do anything that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so, so you can do two things, right? One is you can say, wow, this language must be crap. Or you could say, well, Hey, obviously a lot of people use this. What are they doing? You know, differently. Um, and so you you learn about pattern matching and, and recursion and, you know, tail calls and that sort of thing and realize, Hey, it works. But, uh, Mm -hmm. after a while, I just kind of got working on, working in Erlang, I got to the point where the, the, the actor model was cool, but I found myself fighting it more than, than anything else that I wanted to treat all my memory in a shared way, immutable still, but in a shared way. Mm. And so mm. I, you know, got asking what, what, what languages are there out there that have concurrency, cool concurrency models and Erlang was one. And then people started mentioning, Hey, there's this new language called closure. You know, this is 2009 or so. Um, and mm. so I got into that. And then of course, you know, I, I, articles I read around the time were like, you know, uh, everyone should learn a lisp because it'll alter yeah. your brain, you know? <laughs> so, so <laughs> that's my journey guy. all the way from, so from, uh, did it <laughs> from basic on. Yeah. So you're gonna say, did it alter your brain? 
Yeah, it broke it, I think. But uh, no. <laughs> that is one type of alteration. Yes, right. <laughs> no, no, I I think I think it does. I think functional programming in general does that. And then uh lists with um just the you know, the simplicity of of lists of being able to see uh, you know, I how eval and apply work to to build this interpreter. I mean, I think that's something that is kind of uh, a point of enlightenment is if you can sit down and just kind of write, write a lisp enclosure sometime it's a hundred lines of code. Um, mm-hmm. and you kind of realize, wow, all this stuff is, um, so simple, you know, and yet, yet powerful, yeah. <laughs> of course <laughs> the devil's in the details there because it, it's also slow. So to make it faster, you have to add performance improvements, which add more code and make it more complex. But, uh, it's 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 cool to see. What about the? I mean, the the comp, the sort of homo iconicity. You know, we're allowed right. to use big words here, right. so <laughs> you know, fuck it. <laughs> uh, so I, that's the thing that really always strikes me is like the REPL and and the homo. And uh, okay, we haven't got so much reader macros, but we still got macros in Clojure. Yeah, you know, and um, th- those things are quite different. I mean, you know, I was more of a sort of C. Java programmer, so I, I, I of course had heard of macros, but nothing like this, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I was wondering how those affected you, or those made you think. Yeah, I think I think that's something that uh, you know it, it's fascinating because I had done a little bit of C plus plus before that, and there's like a lot of template metal programming in that. And, yeah, and yeah. I and I even in high school, so somehow in high school. I convinced, uh, so I, I was homeschooled uh, and right. uh, I somehow convinced my parents in high school to let me do, write a programming language as a school project. Um, and so <laughs> I've always kind of dabbled in compilers and stuff and it's a horrible piece of code. It, it, it's, I, I think I don't even think I have it anymore. But um, even back then I was kind of thinking about, you know, hey, I hate writing this this code over and over again what if i could have mm-hmm. a way to tell the compiler to duplicate this or you know do this but add one to this number every time you know and and yeah. and, and so you know once you if you write like you said in java or these other languages you end up writing the same code over and over and you start thinking hey, there's got to be a way i can generate this and and so in java you do it by generating a you know a a, a source file you know you can always write text yeah. out yeah. and then load that back up yeah. to the compiler and um and that's crazy, but uh, um, you know. So, yeah. um, so with with closure, when you started with closure, mm-hmm. uh, what what kind of applications were you building? Is is it consulting for different types of projects? No, actually. So anything? back in that time, I was uh, working on a C sharp app uh, for a architectural firm in Wisconsin, and um, so it was kind of we were kind of like in the HR department, and we were writing um, project management software, um, and. It was very much a thing. I I listened to Rich Hickey's talk on, you know, um, are we there yet? And yeah. I remember listening to this at my desk while programming and just going down the list of everything he says like is wrong with software. And I'm actually typing it at that Doing moment. You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> we had we had all sorts of problems with, you know, mutability and and all this sort of stuff. And and I just slowly got more and more dissatisfied with that and, and decided to learn closure. And so, um, I, I, back in that time I worked on, or I started the, uh, closure and Python project. Um, and sometime yeah. we can talk about how hard that is to actually be a thing that would work. But, um, 
that kind of got my got me learning closure. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. it forces you to read all of the source code if you're going to reimplement a language on a new platform. And so uh, I did a lot of reading of closure and just kind of used that on my on the side to build up my closure skills. And um, I went right from that company to Cognitect. So um, mm-hmm. I Cognitect was really the first couple jobs I had or first job I had in closure itself. Um, OK. So the the Python that you're talking about is uh, Pixie. No, no. So so before uh, no. Pixie, back then, I I I started a project called Closure Pi, and I don't even know that it's still oh. out there. But it, the idea was basically compile Closure to Python bytecode, and it, oh, okay. it, yeah, on, it's one on of it, it's a little okay. weird because there's a lot of semantics between Closure and Python that don't quite match up. Things that are close yeah. but not quite there, and and really Closure really wants a, a nice JIT. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, PyPy exists for Python, but you have this weird world in Python where you either see Python or PyPy. Yeah, or PyPy, and it's like, yeah. you know, so are you going to write half of Closure Pi in C or yeah. are you going to write it in Python and then it only runs fast on PyPy, you know? And, it, and I made a ton of mistakes you, back then, too, on that. But <laughs> Did you check what was the language? It was Hi, H-Y? Yeah, Hi, hi is a new was... language, yeah, that actually yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it still exists and they do that. Now, yeah. now what they did was they basically wrote Lisp-flavored Python. So yeah, all the exactly. Lisps are mutable. Uh, Python has this horrific view of closures where you can modify, like if you close over a variable, you can modify it in a closure and it modifies yeah. it in where wherever the environment was you took <laughs> it from, yeah. which is like, it that's terrible. <laughs> um, so there's some things like that that high inherits. And then um, if, you know, if I were ever to go back and do closure pie, it's like that's this type of thing that you would want to somehow, you know, paper over and li- yeah. like uh, closure script does. So closure, there's a lot of those sort of weird semantics in, in, um, in JavaScript and they're kind of yeah. papered over in closure script. Okay. So um, I think first we need to talk about the biggest uh, issue that we have. Um, so Emacs or some other shit? <laughs> so yeah, um, <laughs> I, I realized when I was coming to this podcast no, that, that there was a pause. That, uh, you know, I used to program in Emacs and I now use cursive and I was also raged vegetarian and I'm not anymore or vegan technically. So, you know, it's been great guys. I guess we'll just end the podcast here, right? <laughs> No, I mean with, with, with Emacs, I think we um, we have like a I'm a vocal majority, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Ray is just uh, yeah. I mean he he just needs to see the lights at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're we're getting your nemesis on this program soon, so you know <laughs> it's like. Uh, it's like 42 episodes and I'm still trying to brainwash him. At some <laughs> point, you know, he's a bit slow, but he'll catch up to Emacs eventually. Yeah, you know, I, I okay. used to use Emacs and I, you know, I, I started sitting down the other day. And it's like I have coworkers that just sit. At, I mean, like they have Emacs just perfect. Everything's configured. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah. I am that way about certain types of certain things in my life. You know, uh, yeah, behind yeah. me is a painting from Skyrim. And I will oh, sit wow. down and I will mod Skyrim. It's it's some guy fighting a <laughs> dragon. I will mod Skyrim for tens of hours and, you know, install hundreds of mods and get it just the way I want. And I just don't care about Emacs like that. So it <laughs> makes sense. I mean, you need to have at least I some remember, you know, so. you have got dark mode in cursive. So <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> I mean, th- these days, I think I'm, I'm even more uh, extreme these days because I'm using, um, I stopped using like iTerm or something with the tabs oh, and yeah. all that yeah. shit. 
So I switched to Alacrity or Alacrity or something. That's like a uh, GPU accelerated Rust. Uh, it was written in Rust. Mm, nice. It's a terminal terminal emulator. So I have Tmux and then Emacs terminal within the Tmux, and then that's it. Only one huge thing with uh, was a, it's super fast and it's really nice. Anyway, uh, I think I'm I'm going back to the 70s, how people <laughs> used to program the 70s, and then using the GPU. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> you, you, much you, you always wear flares when you're doing that, Vitre. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, stay alive, stay alive. yes, exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, on that um, note. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, let's let's talk about closure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, I think um, maybe a, a couple of uh, still positive things before we get <laughs> on to the, uh, the. Wow. Go. Let's keep it positive the, the, all the time. You know? Come on. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Of course. Uh, before we get on to the, I don't know, uh, serious stuff or friction <laughs> that is in the community, so uh, tell us a bit more about you know CoreSync. Like what 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 was your uh, yeah uh, contribution and how you how did you uh, start with this thing? Yeah yeah. So CoreSync, um, you know, I'm trying to remember what the initial kickoff thing for that was, but um, early twenty. 13. So this is this is a few months after I started with Cognitech, I, I believe, come to think of it. Um, uh, basically, most languages at that point had a form of async await or were getting a form of async await. You know, Python, C Sharp, uh, JavaScript has it now. They didn't at the time. Yeah. Um, and this sort of stuff was starting to exist in Java as well. Um, I don't I don't know what the story is there yet. I don't think know if they have those keywords. At any rate, a lot of languages were getting this. And so, yeah. um, you know, and soon Python as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, Rich yeah. was said, you know, Hey, let's, let's figure out how we want to do this enclosure. And, and so at the time it was going to be all promise based. It was, uh, it was, we needed a, some sort of transformation, uh, macro like, uh, go. And so, uh, Rich said, Hey, you know, you enjoy compiler stuff. Would you like to write this? And, uh, so I got working on that. Um, and then Rich went to a conference and I forget what the conference was. And he came and there was a talk there by the people at Go and they talked about Go channels and all this. And he came back and he's like, well, I hope this isn't going to you know, <laughs> cause you to rewrite a ton of code, but we're going to use channels because this is this is way better. And it is, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there was actually there was a period of time where the Go macro worked basically off promises um, and, and that sort of thing. It wasn't easy. And there's really no change to the macro based on that. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so so primarily that uh, library was a collaboration between a bunch of people at uh, Cognitech. Um, so I, uh, myself and and Gotti, um, you know what? I don't say his last name often enough to not butcher it. Um, Shaban is that his life? Yeah, Shab yeah, or something. Sorry, like Gotti. Yeah, uh, but in, he and I uh, uh, just God for collaborated short. Right, right. He and I uh, collaborated a lot on the the Go macro. Uh, Rich wrote all the, ch the uh, most of the channel stuff. Um, you know, Alex Miller did a lot of the um, uh, supporting code in there too. And then other people at Cognitech pitched in for the different parts of Core Async. There's a weird like reordering queue, time based queue thing in there that somebody wrote. Um, hmm. I forget who it was now, but uh, yeah, and then it was kind of a collaborative piece of work. But how do you contrast this with, uh, because you had experience with um, other uh, concurrency models mm -hmm. like Actros, for example, in Erlang. So how do you explain like, uh, 
I don't know, like like I'm five. Well, I'm five in this in this yeah yeah uh, domain anyway. So <laughs> yeah, so if I can get it, then that's easy. Yeah. So there's a the the concept involved with core async is is called uh, CSP, conti- uh, communicating yeah. sequential processes processes. And I've been doing a lot of work with continuation passing style, which is CPS. And so I had to think mm-hmm. about the acronym. Uh, it's a completely yeah. different thing. Um, yeah. So. Um, uh, CSP really talks about the idea that you have processes. You can think of them as a as a, a process in an o- operating system, and then you have channels in which they talk to each other. And there's even a form of calculus involved in that, mm-hmm. and it's pi yeah, calculus. Yeah, pi yeah, calculus. calculus. Yeah, yeah. Um, because as it turns out, the most basic form of a channel is a handoff. If someone is trying to put onto the channel, the put does not succeed until someone takes the value. And so there's a mm. certain amount of reasoning that can be done there about the correctness of programs and some other things like that, um, mm-hmm. uh, because you have that very it's not as a- asynchronous. There's no buffers involved. And, and so it's a lot easier to reason about. Um, mm-hmm. But, that, yeah, that contrasts with uh, the actor model in, in some interesting ways. So in the actor model, um, you have the first class thing. And an actor model really is the the um, the actor itself. So actor mm-hmm. models, you can you can do kind of three things. You can start an actor. An actor can send a message to another actor, and an actor can say how the next message it receives should be handled. And that's like the core of what the real actor systems are. Erlang adds other things onto that and whatever. But yeah. Um, and then CSP says something different, and that is you have processes and you have channels. And so all you do is put something on a channel and hope somebody on the other end takes it. So the first class thing in that sense is the channel, which which works fairly well in a the way we build a lot of our systems today. I, I've built systems where, you know, you scale that up where your processes are a machine and then you have a distributed mm-hmm. queue, Kafka, you know, RabbitMQ, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. And you just put something on the queue and you don't care what happens to it. Somebody will pick it up and do something. Um but there are some differences there, and I think that's something that we haven't seen explored in the closure space, and that is um, there's been attempts to do Erlang's OTP. So, so Erlang has this idea of OTP, yeah. which is like this, this whole framework of how to restart processes, how to do these sort of things. That's harder uh, in CSP, and it's outright impossible in Clojure's core async because you can't even talk about processes in mm. core async processes are not a first class thing that they're not reified you can't say is this thing running because you have no way of saying thing <laughs> you know um, yeah yeah and so i think there's i think there's work to be done in that area um and i'm not i'm not sure what that what that looks yeah. like um but what was the what was the reasoning behind picking csp based um, concurrency versus i don't know bringing actors into closure is it because some other libraries are there already, like Akara. Yeah, so or? so there's a couple things there. Um, one of them is actors in and of themselves. So so what I what I said earlier is is interesting. Those three primitives are all that's really required for an actor based system, and the one of them is send a message to another mailbox that is mm-hmm. or to another actor. It's really a mailbox. Just you send yeah, a message yeah, yeah. to an address, um, like sending a message in the mail. You don't know if it got there. There's no guarantees mm-hmm. it got there. It's asynchronous. You can just send a fire hose of mail to somebody and who knows what's going to happen. Um, and yeah. so, you know, uh, I, I think it was Rich I heard that said this first. You know, what is the first thing people do with actor systems as they build a queue? 
and it's kind of true. It's like, what is the first thing you want in an actor system? Well, you want, you want acknowledgement. Like I yeah. sent the message and I wait for a reply. So if, what if I send it and they got it, but I never get the reply. So mm-hmm. you have to keep resending the message until you get a reply from them saying, yeah, I got that. Um, and you have, they have to keep sending back to you until you get that. And so you end up building a certain amount of, of, um, communication on top of that. And when you're all done, that's a channel in a way, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, yeah. and, uh, and, and so the actor model works great in distributed systems where, as it turns out, the network is unreliable. You send a packet to mm. a machine. You don't know if it got there. Um, if they acknowledge they send an act, you don't know when the act's going to get there, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but on a local box, it's, it's interesting because you can build CSP on a machine itself because you have things like a lock, you have locks, you can, um, uh, kind of a transactional type system is pro- possible to build on a machine. So in a lot of ways, closure has this philosophy of, you know, let's not start with the worst case scenario, which is a distributed environment. You know, we're going to, mm. we're going to start with what we can do on the local box, uh, immutable data, shared, shared access agents, uh, atoms, those sort of things you can't build in a distributed system. Uh, yeah. but that doesn't limit us from building, from using those, in a single system. Yeah. But in that case, the isn't that the difficulty to scale it up to the distributed systems? It is. Then you need to bring in different kind of semantics into the into the system. It is, yeah. And I think I yeah. think that's something where I mean Core Async does help you with the mindset of you're you're used to building so, uh, software with queues, and then yeah. we're gonna go and uh, you know, we're, we're going to use a distributed queue. So you can kind of swap out mm. that channel for a queue, but there are semantic differences and and, you know, there's like a lot of things in Clojure. Clojure gives you a tool. Uh, Corey gives you a toolbox, right? Um, yeah, and yeah. so, you know, I, I think it would be great if there was a more cohesive view of what it's like to build systems here with, with this sort of thing. Yeah. But on the yeah. other hand, the more you work towards that, the more you have, you know, here's how you build a distributed system with Core Async, then stuff outside of that box um uh, you, you, when, when, once you give someone a hammer, they're going to look for nails, I yeah, guess yeah. is the way of saying yeah, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but there was, um, there was this, um, effort to build, uh, distributed atom some time ago. So probably somebody from Cognitect, I'm not sure if you, yeah, were, yeah. So years ago, uh, there was, it was a based on that. the, yeah, using, using Zookeeper and MongoDB and then trying to build something. Yeah. And that, uh, uh I think one of the last, the last, uh, issues was, if you go to the, what was the name of it now? Avout? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, one of the last issues in the GitHub repo is, uh, I want to say it was, oh, I'm not going to name names because I forget who it is now. But basically <laughs> someone said, hey, uh, if you go look at the Zookeeper spec, this can never work. <laughs> and basically <laughs> like that was that was the end. Yeah, uh, because as it turns out, there's problems. It, like, like Clojure yeah. is very much based around this idea of, of um, things existing a certain way within a within a a, syst- a computer itself mm-hmm. that you you can do things like validation you can do things like yeah. uh, um, you know uh, atomic updates and that sort of thing yeah. and once you get in a distributed world that's not the case and I tell people that too it's like I have actually sat down and written like a yeah. channel a core async channel that works across a network. Except oh. it doesn't, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's, there's still those little tiny things where in these cases, it mm. doesn't quite work. You know, like, like yeah. if, if you pull the network plug, um, it's going to have different semantics than it did 
if it's within the same box, you know? And so the yeah, question yeah. there becomes, uh, should we just use a different programming paradigm mm. in those cases? One of the things that, I, and again, I don't know, to me, it's something which I, I don't know why it can't be done, but Rich seems to be against it, is this is this concept of like knowing a bit more about what's going on in core async. So understanding how big the channel is, how big the buffer is, inspecting what's in flight, that seems to be missing, and that seems to be, to me, quite a, quite a like a. I mean, you know, if we could have that data, more tools could be built on top of it. Um, but that seems to be kind of almost a deliberate design choice um, to to say, okay, we're not going to give you that. And that that to me, I would say the problems with core async are like that, like you know, lack of instrumentation or lack of ability to introspect or look into that thing. And then secondly, I think. That gives problems when you're getting sack traces or you're diagnosing what's going on. Well, where where did it go wrong? What happened? What you know? Where were these threads? You know that doesn't come across very well in a podcast, but you know, <laughs> crossing the streams in some way. You know, no, I think yes. I think you're I, I think you're right in the sense that 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 sort of thing is is needed. Now, I I I will be quick to say I. I have never heard Rich say that as a, you know, we, we don't want this. All right, okay. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've heard kind of the opposite that, yeah, it would be nice to have more monitoring and this sort of right, thing. Right, but right. Okay. but it's one of those things where it takes a certain amount of um, design thought, mm -hmm. right? Um, and and I've, I've gone down that road too of saying, you know, do I – so I want to devote a year of my life to figuring out how how this should be done, and then they'll, of course, there'll be people who disagree with me or or whatever, right? <laughs> um, but but there are but there are some things there that in core async that make it hard to do that without changing the library itself. So so if if someone wants to take that on, I would say one of the first things you probably need to do is fork the library and add some more stuff to it, like the 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 Go macro itself. And there's people that have done this. There was a, a talk at a conj or closure west a while back where someone did that and they they installed hooks into core async redeft a whole bunch of vars and so they got they could do some cool things too like actually um diagram how the channels talk to each other right. or serialize it where you could step through a core async program by pausing the channels and and you know that that's great um so the the, the thing is there though is those hooks have to be have to be there and yeah. so, you know, mm. yeah, I, I would say what would need to be done in core async would be to add those hooks in in the main line, or someone needs to fork it, you know, and and add that stuff in. But I guess the biggest question to me is like, it feels a bit like nothing's happened with it for a long time. It's like zero four seven four, and that's it. I mean, is it still actually? Is are people still looking at this thing? Is it still like getting some love? Well, I I think that's that's the the. Um, the age-old question, right, for uh, for uh, a lot of closure libraries, right, is is it is it perfect or is it dead? Um, yeah. You know? <laughs> well, no, it's not perfect. And, 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 and I, that's, I, that's an interesting dichotomy. I, I would I would agree with that too. You okay. Know? Um, but but there's yeah. So so it was it's been a few months back, not a few months, a few years now. Uh, it, it's it's now Corey Sync is part of the mainline closure development process. So spec uh, tools depth. I think it's part of that um, closure core yeah. or the closure language itself and core async are all kind of under the umbrella of, of using Jira and, and that system, yeah. you know? Um, and so, um, yeah, it, 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 it does run into one of those problems of, I think there's things there that need to be fixed, 
but they're design questions and and uh it's it's a little hard getting traction to improve uh things in closure or libraries manage like closure uh if they're design questions because it just requires someone to sit down and and think of all the scenarios and then yeah. uh, run it by the powers that be to make sure that it's you know acceptable i guess and that that takes a lot yeah. of time you know <laughs> but that is that this is one of the one of the interesting things in the closure community right the the, the entire um, discussion around uh, the development process and uh, lacking some sort of a direction because recently i started reading something about uh, probably i think most of the people know already like the um i see a lot of parallels between the way closure is is developed and then you know sqlite library that that, that one is developed because they have this core group of developers and only they can uh, change the thing mm-hmm. and and sqlite is available as as a you know public domain thing so you can use it for whatever you like we don't want to complain but there is a, there is a group that is uh, you know that that knows the stuff but then i think the, the the analogy breaks down because sqlite is just okay you get it and then you use it and closure is much more like a language so i, I don't know what is the um, what is the what is your opinion about i don't know having this kind of development yeah it's a, it's an interesting problem so you know uh probably some people are aware I've been a little vocal about this on twitter uh but yeah. uh you know the Little, uh, yes. I, i think i think one of the things that needs to be said is by by all means i i i consider myself some weird uh mixture of conservative and libertarian so it's like i very much believe in personal responsibility personal agency you know you can do what you want with what you did i'm i i have no right to tell you what to do uh yeah. and uh and that's that's great you know it is one of those things where you know if you want people to continue to use something uh it has to it has to be appealing to them somehow i guess um so mm-hmm. i mean that's that's one of the things with you know with core async is the question is is are, do people stop using it because it, it has sharp edges you know and they don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to um continue to experience those and i i know that's been true in my own work is is i actually at at my current job i don't even know where we use core sync i don't encounter it much if if we do um and that's mostly because of like you said the rough edges the stack traces and or, or yeah, you know yeah. and then th- these are things you experience in all sorts of um libraries you know stack traces and and l- the rough edges but is it something we could improve Um I sorry what I was going to say was all languages that use async have by default yeah. more complicated code you know and and it's just kind of the way the nature of the beast um yeah. but it would it be possible to improve that you know could we somehow install um some sort of hooks in the go macro to say you know hey if this thing dies let me know or or register it in a global atom to say what are all the go blocks currently running you know and and these mm-hmm. are these are all things that have their trade-offs sure. that that's kind of the problem here is that you know uh i i i'll give you one example there's a there's been a debate for some time if using the you know so within a go macro you're not supposed to use a blocking take or put and yeah. and you can't use the parking take and put inside of a normal thread because it's it's a macro thing and it'll actually throw an error but the other way you can do it but you're not supposed to so if you do a blocking take or put within a go macro it just hogs the thread um and so mm-hmm. someone came up with the idea and this has been around for That's a while that's only on hey, java we... by the way it doesn't work on on javascript <laughs> right right <laughs> right exactly <laughs> um 
but it's a nice it's a nice construct to have. And so the 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 question is, can we do some sort of macro logic or or magic with with dynamic vars to throw an error? That if you with you know when you start the go block, you set a little flag and say, hey, we're now in a go block. And if you try to run this function, we do a check to say, are we in a go block and throw an exception? You know, hmm. that does have a small performance penalty. You know, we're talking about a hash map lookup sure. for every yeah. time you do a block or take. So the question there becomes, you know, is it worth the performance impact for hmm. for removing this rough edge? And we can have a debate over whether it's 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 right or not. But at the end, it kind of you're like you said, it needs it needs someone to stand up and say, you know, this is the goal, the vision for the library. Um, yeah. And I think I think a, a good counterexample to this is uh, is reactive extensions, um, mm. which Microsoft developed. And it, it, it's kind of kind of sort of not really a competitor to core async. It's, it's kind of like core async and transducers. And and it, but what they have is every single primitive in there even has like a visual diagram. If you put this in, here's the output, you know, yeah. and the whole mm. spec is designed from top to bottom so that when you go and implement it in a new language, it's easy to say, hey, you ported this wrong or you did that thing wrong. And, and they thought about how errors are propagated and and, uh, you know, errors are actually mentioned. <laughs> but that comes <laughs> yeah. back to that closure that comes back to that closure philosophy of closure is in general optimized for correct programs. Um, mm. And so the question becomes. Uh, you know, what does that mean for your everyday development? If you write a program that has a bug, do you really just yeah. want to, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's this. So at, at one point, at one point, if you had a transducer in a core async channel and that transducer mm -hmm. threw an exception, it would hard lock the channel. Like you could never oh. put anything else into that core async channel. Nothing could be taken out. It was just dead. There was no way to touch it or do anything with it. Um, and so, you know, that's and so eventually uh, we got error handlers and channels. That mm. was one of those things where it's like, but wait a minute, you know, we're no longer optimized for for correct programs. But in that case, an incorrect program was was painful enough, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> that it was worth putting that check in yeah. and that small performance impact, you know, um, mm. saying no, don't do that is a fine response to an error except for when you know the way you say that is by shooting someone in the foot literally you know at that point <laughs> who, 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 who there's got to be a better way who cares that much about performance though i'm gonna i'm gonna just well, say that out loud because to me you know the whole point about this like swapping threads and all this kind of stuff is that it's all predicated upon about on the fact that the cpu has got tons of time i mean it literally has got tons of time and you're not going to be CPU bound. You're mostly going to be I/O bound. So, right. Putting a check in there, and you're running closure for fuck's sake, you know, which <laughs> inherently is not, you know, is is a is a, a, an interpreted language, and you know, oh yeah, I know you can compile it and all this kind of shit, but you know, I, I don't know. It just seems to me like to go so far uh, to say, you know, okay, everything must be perfect because we are only optimized for that. I, I've got a, for me, it sounds like an excuse. It doesn't sound like, it sounds like a weird way of thinking about things because putting in some checks or some guards to protect programmers against foolishness, you know, known foolishness, it seems trivial. It seems like what everyone would do. So I'm, I, and I've heard that, 
you know, that optimized business, but I don't get it. I don't know where, where this is coming from, actually. I've never actually heard Rich say it out loud. So maybe he does believe no, that I, fully. I don't think I don't so either. Know, but, no, you know. yeah. Yeah, it, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting question. And, you know, the two, two things come to <laughs> mind with that. One is uh, um, I, I had a coworker tell me once that, you know, the closure community really fetishizes performance. <laughs> Like to a, to an unhealthy <laughs> level, and, I, and it's kind of true. It's like, you know, if you if you show somebody that using vec versus into you know vector yeah. is is two two percent faster, they're like, well, I'm always going to use vec, you know. Um, but but it also reminds, We're not me, that reminds stupid, me too, honestly. <laughs> please, no, no, please, no. please. The most of the closer no. people are not that. Are not but that but, but it yeah. but it's true. I mean, like like people start to to think you know, they, they, they extrapolate that, that, you know, yeah. one of my, one of my favorite examples there is multi-methods, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was working with multi-methods once and I asked someone, you know, is there a faster way to do this with multi-methods? And they're like, have you benchmarked it? Yeah. Like, no, I haven't benchmarked it. And they're like, benchmark it. And then we'll talk about it when you can prove that multi-methods are slow. And I never went and rewrote the code. Yeah. It's like multi-methods <laughs> were always fast enough. Yeah. And you know, yes, they're slow, you know, for some value slow. of slow. Yeah. Yeah, but but we don't. But what you said is actually true. There's a um, one of my favorite uh, speakers to watch is uh, is Martin Thompson. Right. Uh, yeah. he, he does a lot of work like with uh, high frequency trading yeah. and and uh, the uh, disruptor queue and that sort oh, of stuff. Nice. Yeah. And uh, he has a saying where he says, you know, immutable data structures are like sausage. Uh, they're all well and good until you go in the kitchen and see how they're made. <laughs> and it's it, it's it's true. Like like if you compare and assert, like let's check the type of, of, of a value, but when it comes into a function, yeah. you know, set, yeah. we're going to do set union, make sure everything that comes into the union, the set union call is, yeah. is a set. Um, yeah. That check is way cheaper than the actual cost of adding something to an immutable collection where you have sure. to copy three arrays yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and copy all the values over and do a bunch of math. And you know, it's yeah. like, it's, it's way more expensive. Um, I mean, to me, immutable data structures are just like provably usable, you know, yeah, <laughs> which is great, you know, I mean, cause they help give you a shitload of affordances as a programmer, which is what you want. Oh, absolutely. You know? Right. Yeah. So, so, so my kind of my point with that is like, we've already taken the, the actual power of a CPU yeah. and reduced it down because we want certain conveniences yeah, exactly. yeah. of immutable yeah. data structures and that sort of yeah. thing. Um, you know, we've already cut whatever the throughput of our system, quote unquote, in half yeah. by mm. using uh, a dynamic language and using immutable data structures. And maybe someone forgot to type hint reflection somewhere in our closure code base, you know, and then and then we're worried about, you know, adding an assert. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, and in some cases, like this is the thing I like to point out with people that, yeah, the 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 hotspot JIT is really, really good. Um, yeah. And so mm -hmm. there was a time I actually went in and type hinted the I, like how much slower would the closure core set functions be if they just checked to make sure that their inputs were a hash set mm -hmm. before they did any work. So put an assert. Um, yeah. And it got faster <laughs> with the assert. No. And, and, and I and I and I benchmarked that so many times. And, and it, as far as I can tell, it just realizes that, oh, I don't have to do casts yeah. in the function. I used to have to do five casts and now I know the input is of this type. So I don't have to cast anymore in these cases. And so it just, 
removes a bunch of code and you know yeah, yeah. so anyway yeah it, it's um back to core async i guess <laughs> yeah but i mean i think the general point is that we're we're talking about like the let's say the the philosophy aren't we of of whether you, you say it's optimized for correct programs I, I i'd like to see that somewhere written down in the um in the closure like rationale or something it doesn't seem like a decent rationale to me i've heard Stu oh, say it so, but i don't know if yeah it's... so Stu said it and i i'm not sure that i've ever heard rich say it yeah uh, and i'm not trying to I, call I, rich I i'm not trying it. to say that Stu is you know wrong or something <laughs> if if that's what it's optimized for then fair enough let's have it out there but it seems like a weird goal you know to me yeah yeah and i and i you know, I think I think the problem maybe with that statement is that it doesn't recognize that there's uh, that all things. You know, it, taking anything to the extreme, it's a problem. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, yeah. If we want to optimize everything for correct programs, then when I seg fault in the JVM, it should crash my computer, mm. like the OS, everything. <laughs> yeah. You know that that yeah. we do have certain safeguards in place. <laughs> hey, I used to program GW Basic, like I said, back in that day, <laughs> when you access memory you weren't supposed to, you had to hit the reset button and, you know, reboot yeah. DOS. So, you know, I don't really want to yeah. go back to that. Yeah. You know? well, I've been doing some IoT programming recently, and it's like that still. <laughs> you know, right. you're kind of like on the bare end, bare end of an operating system, you know, which is really just a scheduler. And it's like, ah, you know, this is horrible. <laughs> This is a really horrible experience in C at the you know at the arse end of civilization. You know, it's not nice. You know, it really isn't nice. So I think the correct response to that is schedulers. We would have loved schedulers oh, yeah. back in my day. <laughs> we had one thread. <laughs> Speaking of the um, of the, uh, the the type level stuff, so I, I hear many you, you programmed in Erlang, you programmed in uh, Python, obviously, uh, and um, and other languages. So, what is your experience on the other side of the this debate, like the fully static type checking stuff? Yeah. So um, I I forgot to mention the language there. So I was on the .NET platform before I went to Closure. I was doing that at my day job. Mm -hmm. And so I, I spent some time in F sharp and even yeah. like, um, I think I even played around with like adapting some of Closure's uh, concurrency to man semantics to F sharp. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago, I went back to F sharp. It's just like, hey, you know, I'm, I was playing around with some programming language development ideas and i wanted a language with tail calls and so hey f sharp um yeah and uh so that's my experience there and yeah i like it it's 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 one of those things where i if i'm writing a compiler static types mm -hmm. really kind of help um i've done a lot of yeah. work with the pypy tool chain which is statically typed but fully inferred so you never specify types they just oh. it, it tries to go through your entire program it's like hey your main input takes strings an array of strings and returns an integer so based upon yeah. that we should be able to infer the entire rest of your code base um and so it just oh. throws out an error at some point like hey you used an int here and used a string here and we can't unify this you know uh so um writing compilers and stuff static types are are kind of nice for that um once you get into more data driven systems um yeah. that's when you want a where the dynamic languages 
win out. Yeah. Specifically, data-driven languages like Clojure. So, mm. you know. Yeah, because I was I was thinking about the comment that you made, uh, I don't know, a few minutes ago that you said, you know, build Clojure on top of Clojure. Because one of the things that that uh, Haskell people say that Haskell is one of the best languages to 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 build other languages. Um, you know, like a, Haskell is a really good compiler for other languages. So you can build on top of that one. And I also saw, maybe I, I didn't understand properly, in your GitHub, you have closure on F-sharp F or something like that? Oh, Lisp, or? yeah. So I, I went a while back yeah. and started just writing a Lisp on different platforms. Um, oh. and, uh, and part of that was writing a Lisp in Lisp and then yeah. making it so you could write the Lisp in a Lisp in a Lisp. And, and I have this cool, <laughs> cool file called, um, I think it's just called Deeper. And it just keeps loading a lisp and a lisp and a lisp until your machine grinds to a halt. Um, and uh, it's kind of a fun thing. Um, but uh, yeah, so so it's kind of fun. So one of the things I really uh, enjoy studying about this sort of thing is um, I, I, I watched a talk by, let me pull up the um, the name of it here. Nada Amin uh, did a talk a while back uh, called uh, Collapsing Towers of Interpreters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. um, it's a work in, that she and uh, another uh, gentleman have been working on for, for some while. Um, but it's kind of the idea of being able to write a language and a language and a language and have the um, runtime be able to collapse that down. So you can write a oh, lisp yeah, and a lisp yeah, and yeah. a lisp and a lisp and a lisp. And the final yes. one is just as fast as the first one. Um, and it does that through a weird form of partial evaluation and, and that sort of thing. And that's, that's kind of what I've been spending a lot of my, um, free time in is, <laughs> is just kind of trying to unify that with other concepts I'd like to see in a programming language. Yeah. So, uh, let's, let's get to the, uh, the other, uh, topic that, that we wanted to talk about. So how do you handle all these error messages in Clojure? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, one, uh, one this 10 is the topic of the year. Yeah. One ten's gotten better. Um, yeah. in, in that way, yeah. uh, once one nine came around, well, actually one spec was in core. I, I, I stopped reading it, the messages, frankly, like, like I'll, <laughs> I'll write a macro and I'll run the macro and it presents a wall of text. And uh, it's just like, well, I just wrote two lines of code. So I can go stare at those lines of code or stare at this. Yeah. I'm going to look at the lines of code. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it, it was really bad, um, hmm. but um, yeah, you know, I we I, I've used spec a couple times in projects, and most of the times I've ended up removing it after a while. It just it didn't quite give the um, the power that I mm -hmm. was looking for, um, and and mostly just because it was so hard to, hard to debug. It's like uh, my debug process a lot of times in spec revolved around. Uh, you write a spec, your code doesn't fit the spec for whatever reason. It gives you an error. For some reason, it's hard to figure out why it's not that way. So go write, go fire up the generators and have it generate some some data that does fit the spec and see what where you went wrong, you know? And often it's, you mm -hmm. know, I, I wanted a vector spliced in in this case instead of a nested vector or or whatever. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, it's it's a self fulfilling problem with spec, right? It's that, optimized for perfect specs, Tim. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but, Sorry, but we do need better tooling. Blow the belt, that one. <laughs> no, I I I I, I understand. No, we, we need better we need better tooling for spec, mm. but it's it's 
you, you need better hooks to write that tool. So as an example, uh, one of the things that one reasons why I haven't used spec a lot is, is a lot of the code I write is data driven, which is yeah. funny to say in a closure. You're not using data. spec for that. Yeah. But um, in the sense that uh, I worked on a system that used, um, didn't use spec, it used uh, schema. And in yeah. schema, there's a prismatic schema. They have some other libraries with swagger and the like. So you could write an HTTP yeah, yeah. endpoint. You write your spec, your your schema, and then you yeah. say, "Hey, give me Swagger for this." And for those that aren't aware, it's a it's a it's a formal spec in JSON that's emitted out. And then there's um, a JavaScript thing you can put on the front end, and that's how we did our documentation. Was that we would write yeah. our schema and we would tell the other teams, "Here you go. If there's something you don't understand, tell us, and we'll update the spec to give you better documentation." That's technically yeah. possible in spec. Enclosure spec, um, yeah. but it's not reflective. Like you, once you have a spec, you can turn it back into the raw code that it came from, but you got to then interpret that code. Um, <laughs> do you want to interpret that code using spec? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and so see, then you get specs of specs and this whole thing. And it's like, you know, what I really want is a data driven system where I can yeah. tell spec, here is data that describes my schema. And at any time, I can say, give me the data uh, definition for that spec. Yeah. But what what was the, is it just, of course, I understand the error message part of it, but uh, what are the practical reasons that you're not uh, that keen on using spec in in your programs? Because it does give some value, right? I mean, it, it will validate, you know, you have all the generators coming out of the, Code that you've written. Right. Yeah. So, so it's, it's very much, there's no tooling for it. Like, like, yeah. uh, you know, with, with schema, you can sit down and plug up the different, plug the little different libraries together and get your endpoint. And so, so at several jobs now, I, I, you know, several places I've worked at, the problem has very much been, they already have an endpoint in schema um, mm-hmm. that has, you know, swagger or this other stuff involved mm-hmm. and being able to, uh, and then that tooling doesn't exist in spec. So you can have a world where half your system is in spec, half is in schema. Sure, that's fine. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you got to maintain both or just really like, are we going to write a new system? Uh, if we're going to write a new system, we don't want to have to develop those libraries that hook up to Swagger mm. or or whatever. I think it's a timing issue in mm. some respects, though, isn't it, Tim? Because, you know, um, I would say that schema is pretty much on its way out. You know, they're not yeah. really they're not really yeah. loving it because I think they see that the writings on a wall that people will start using spec for things. You know, and I agree with you. There's some lamentation there about that because it's a very nice library, and those guys did great work. Um, on the other hand, I mean, for me, you know, I, I agree with you, and and, and things to was saying the other day on our uh, apropos thing that that he thinks that it, you know there will be more tooling and more data around spec and that that's that's obviously for the good you know um but we we tend to use it as for for like greenfield stuff uh, for collaboration just to kind of you know even if we would throw it all away it's a kind of nice Mm. way to center the data definitions when you've got a team of people with quite you know with a lot of interfaces across the network where you've got different people responsible for different things then spec seems to be pretty good at centering us all on, yeah, okay, that's what we mean when we're sending this, that's what we mean when we're sending that. As a kind of discussion piece, 
actually it's nice because if you do that in in something else, it, it it's not as easy to reify it. It's not as easy to to kind of to say, oh yeah, this is what the actual data will look like because those generators, as as VJ says, you know, are not there. So how do you do that with JSON or how do you do that with a Word document? You know, <laughs> which is what which yeah, is what we're I faced with. A, you know, right? And I think that's an interesting point that in the the real world, so to speak, your teams use different languages. Your front end team may be writing JavaScript yeah, and your yeah. back end team's closure, or, you know, you got to talk to a Node.js service or mm -hmm. something like that. And so the question becomes, you know, how useful are those specs if you, if no one else can read them, which they currently can't. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, so then it becomes a question of, can we translate them to something else? Yeah, I mean, this is yeah, the way yeah. I think, right? It's like, if they want swagger or they want, you know, some, whatever format whatever the yeah. flavor of the day is um i need a way then to extract data from the specs in order to generate that or, the or I guys go are the other way that, by the way the Was Matosin that? people are doing that they've got some tooling to right to but it's spike. but it's a little weird in the sense yeah. that what you yeah. get you get is you know uh you get S expressions. You got to parse S expressions. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so so like in a lot of my stuff, I want an AST, not right. okay. not Lisp code. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, so so um, so of course, I mean, you you've been um, building different types of languages and stuff. Mostly mostly Lisps on top of these things. So um, essentially, two part question. One is that uh, what is Pixie, and you know how are you building that one. And the other side of it is that uh, just before we, we started, we were discussing, it's been 10 years of closure. So, you know, how should, in your opinion, a language should evolve around the community and how should it be? What would be the ideal stewardship for a language? Uh, right. So, um, you know, th this may go on for a little bit. I, I, as long as you guys want to talk, I, I'm good to talk. Of course. <laughs> <Go on>. so, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So let me know when you run out of hard drive space. <laughs> but it's uh, like this listening into listening into Lisp. You just keep on talking. Yeah. yeah you exactly. run out of just space keep going. Keep going. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so to start with for Pixie. So Pixie is funny. Uh, I originally started Pixie as a um, writing a Lisp on the PyPy platform. I I could talk for some time about what I like about the PyPy uh, tool chain. And it's, it's got some really cool features and there's mm -hmm. not really, well, in the time I wrote Pixie too, that there's uh, a packet it's called a racket on uh, pipe, the PyPy tool chain. Uh, but at the time there wasn't a whole lot of lists um, on, on there. Um, so I wanted to do that and, and built some cool concepts into it, but also I didn't quite go far enough with it um, in the sense that, I ended up with something that looked like, um, cl like closure written on <laughs> PyPy, and I and I, my focus now in a lot of languages that I and I I'm working on kind of the successor to Py to Pixie is um, I want to push immutability further into the language, make things like mm -hmm. namespaces and even the entire interpreter itself um, immutable. And I had a branch in Pixie that did this for a while and I didn't know how to make it fast. And that's been about two or three years ago. And I think we can actually make it usable now. But the whole idea of like what happens when each time you execute a function internally, you get a new copy of the 
of the interpreter, right? right. <laughs> and that sounds crazy, but in, in essence, that's kind of the way some of these these systems work. And and you can optimize that, like with transients. You know, yeah. transients are immutable because nobody ever cares about the old version of the data structure, yeah. right? And so you can do some tricks like that to make it. Um, at any point, you can say, "Get me a copy of the interpreter at this time," and and you can do that. Okay. Um, but but going back to with Pixie, that what, that's what really you want to do that I, for? I ended up way, with Tim, can. What do you want to do that for? What apart from kind of like the satisfaction of doing it? What what's the motivation for doing that? Right. So so there's a couple of papers I'll direct people to if they want to they want to read up on this sort of stuff. So um, there's uh, let's see here. Let me get the right one here. Uh, Programming with algebraic effects and handlers is a paper that talks about taking OCaml and putting an effect system right. in it. Um, so mm-hmm. so OCaml is a language that is mostly immutable. Mm-hmm but you have some escape hatches. Um, and this algebraic effect system has a way of doing IO in a functionally pure way without resulting, uh, without re- going to um, monads. So mm-hmm. the, the return types of your functions don't change, but yet your entire program is immutable. Um, and you do that through basically delimited continuations and uh, some polymorphism and that, that sort of thing. Uh, so I would like to see that combined with some of the the um, collapsing towers of interpreters. So uh, I love metaprogramming and that sort of thing. And what the, what, uh, let's see here, the collapsing towers of interpreters is the paper you want to look at that. What they talk about there is like being able to write an interpreter and say, okay, I have a function that's my interpreter in my program and I'm going mm-hmm. to give it a program. And I want you to yep. partially apply this program to the interpreter and what you get out is a compiled function that is completely optimized for that program that you handed the interpreter. So it basically can, you, you never have to write a compiler is the thing that you write a regex interpreter, you hand it a string and it gives you a compiled function that is fully optimized to, to do what that regex was supposed to do. And you don't have to actually write a regex compiler. That's the, that's okay. the goal for this sort of thing. So, so the problem with that sort of thing is if you partially apply a function um, and you have side effects in that function, uh, yeah. reading from disk, writing to disk, uh, that's going to change the, the behavior of the function. And so my, my idea is to use these, um, this algebraic effect system to stub out I.O. So to basically say, you know, you can think about it in Haskell or the like, um, you use the IO monad to say, go run this, run this function, but don't do the IO yet. And so yeah. we're kind of going to put those two things together to say, I want a dynamic Lisp that mm-hmm. is functionally pure, but doesn't use monads because I kind of hate monads um, <laughs> and uh, allows us to do this sort of cool metaprogramming. So why is your so, hatred for monads so pure, Tim? <laughs> no, no, really, really, it's just the types. The, okay. the, the fact that that if you have a, if anyone's ever written a monad, it changes the function signature of right, your function. Right. Yes, right, of course. So, yeah, yeah. so if this thing uses a state monad, it no longer takes a string and returns an int. It takes a string yeah. and returns a state monad of int. Um, and uh, and in a dynamic language, that's. That's a fantastic way to to 
drive you to drink. You know? <laughs> uh, so uh, it, it's yeah. not so bad. So it's funny in, in F sharp, I, I, I F sharp has these cool things called computational expressions. It's like the go block, but as a first language, con- uh, first, uh, first class. Uh, as a first class thing. Right. So yeah. you can say, yeah. Hey, within here, redefine let as this and redefine do as this. And you can kind of within a block redefine all the basic language constructs. And that, isn't hell on earth because of the type system that you know when you actually try to compile it it'll say you know what you said this is a let but the the values you take here aren't quite lining up um and Mm. so you can kind of work with the compiler to make sense of that but in a dynamic language uh you know you don't have those safeguards it's like so why don't you just use types tim (laughs) (laughs) no it's fun yeah so that that's the that's the goal for Pixie for you then. So you you want to have this um, immutability all the way down. Uh, yeah. So so the that's kind of that's where I was kind of going with Pixie um, a while mm. back. And I and I, you know, at this point, um, I I did enough. I don't say wrong. It's just I learned enough in the process of Pixie that I'll say it publicly. Pixie is <laughs> I haven't touched Pixie in like two three years, so it's not really <laughs> yeah. a thing. Um, but I, but I am still prototyping some of these other ideas and, and ideas we learned or I learned in, in, um, in Pixie and I'd you know like to build something with that. Okay, cool. So, um, the, the other part of the question was, was that, well, probably, you know, kind of an independent question, <laughs> yeah. um, was that, you know, the, uh, there has been a lot of discussion, I think, you know, on Twitter as well about the, uh, how the language was built and how the community is around closure and, and what what is the what are the priorities so in your opinion how should how should the language priorities change over the period when when the language is getting bigger and how do you see the community of closure yeah that's that's interesting so um you know i think i think you have to recognize that languages have kind of growth cycles i guess if you will and that you always have the language hoppers that come on mm. at the beginning yeah. that that it's a new yeah. language it's cool it's I always wanted to learn a lisp. And so here's a good lisp, a modern lisp. Um, and, and there's also cycles, not even cycles, just growth in the programming community in general. I was thinking about this the other day that when I started with closure, the idea of an immutable data structure, like you would say that and everyone's like, what are you talking about? And isn't that really yeah. slow? And, and, yeah. and this sort of yeah. thing. And, and you had to explain how, yeah, it's a little slower, but not enough that you care about. And, and people mm-hmm. recognize that, you know, uh, I mentioned Martin Thompson in, in, earlier, but even he, he'll say in his talks that, you know, if you're not in the core of your program, this stuff is still nice to have, you know, um, yeah. I think he said that in one of his talks. And so today we fast forward to a point where almost every major language out there has immutable data structures, at least as yeah. a library. C Sharp, Microsoft maintains their own immutable data structures as part of an add on library for C Sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of these features of closure we now see in other languages as well so macros the elixir has has a pretty powerful macro system mm. and and a lot of these sort of things so when you, when you talk about growing a language i think you have to figure out where you want it to be what 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 mm. do you want the language to be um because if if people just want immutable data and ruby syntax they're going to go to elixir you know yeah. Yeah. So on that note, I, I'm not sure where, 
where the designers of Clojure want to take it, but my impression is, is that they want it to be a powerful language that can be used by enterprise class companies um, mm. to, to kind of harness the, um, the power that they have available, like the, the infrastructure they have available, as well as the um, kind of wrangle in the business complexity complexities of, of the system. And, and it, it is, it's one of those things where it's like, if you're optimizing for that, if you're optimizing for people that are going to spend five years, they're going to spend, reroute their career to the language then then yeah maybe some of these other things like error messages or some of this thing don't don't matter as much but but does this um view align uh i, I don't want to put you i don't want to put a lot of spotlight on you or something but the idea is that uh the question is like does that align with because you're working with you worked within the within the guild mm -hmm. of of closure core and <laughs> Did this view is it something that you have seen already, or is it something that that uh, you are observing as a proxy? Uh, it, it's something that I mostly observed as a proxy. So I, I should probably yeah. make that clear that even in my time at Cognitech, that was not necessary. I wasn't part of the core team any more mm -hmm. than anyone else is. I mean, I had the same yeah, rights yeah. and privileges that any any person that write a patch uh, mm -hmm. did um, outside of of Cognitech. Um, but I, I think what my, I think what my concern is there that mm. you have to have the young blood come in somehow, mm. right? Is yeah. that is that if if closure, you, you don't want closure to become a cobol type thing where it's <laughs> yeah. like like only all you 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 must have a rack of five servers in order to use this language. And, or you know, or even even you know, you must be an AWS. I haven't, I haven't. You yeah, know, a lot of a lot of Datomic and Closure, um, you know, the Datomic ions and stuff you see going to AWS, and that's great. That's that's cool technology. On the other hand, I haven't worked on a project that uses AWS in about four years, just because mm. all of the big companies I've worked for have their own infrastructure or you know yes. that sort of thing. Um, and, and at some point, you have to have you have to have the the new people come in mm. and, and are they going to want to do that or are they going to use Elixir or, you know, Scala or Kotlin or, yeah. or whatever, whatever the newest yeah. flavor of the day is. And so, you know, for me, for me, it's fascinating. I, I came to closure and I, I found it a breath of fresh air in the sense that I had never seen a tech conference like closure Conj where you walk in and people are like, so I read this paper. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. the the people that wrote Instaparse, uh, <laughs> Engel, the Engelbergs. Yeah. I I always yeah, laugh yeah. at that. Apparently, that thing whole thing started when like they hey hey here's a paper on how to write a parser. Hey son, go go write this. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, and I'm trivializing yeah. it, but it was more or less yeah. along those lines. And, and that sort of stuff is cool. Core Match is the same way. That was developed by reading a paper. And yeah, um, you know, hey, I'll come out and say it. I don't I don't see that anymore. I don't I don't mm. see that in the closure community. Uh, what we have today is is kind of seems to be fitting things together. It's new AWS mm. technology and we're going to fit it with this thing and we're going to do this and we're going to, you know, but I don't know that that says anything about the community except that that lost me and that lost my mm. excitement that I don't um, I came to closure as a compiler and programming nerd. And that yeah. spark seems to no longer be in the community. Um, and maybe that's part of 
I mean, it's just more mature now. Um, yeah, but that's that's why I said what I did on Twitter, and, and that is, you know, I I look elsewhere now for for development, uh, like like cool projects mm-hmm. to work on or new ideas or that sort of thing. And and let me be clear too, part of that is just like my ideas for what I want to write in a programming language are completely impossible on the JVM. The reason mm-hmm. I haven't written this successor to pixie yet is because i can't find a platform that supports the set of features that i need and so it's like how am i going to get you know delimited continuations and all this stuff into this language or that (laughs) language Uh, yeah so but the the whole aws thing uh i think that so this is the this is the contrast between the community versus a company right because they then i think the, um, the, the from the company point of view i can imagine that they're targeting specific demographic, which is going to, I don't know, give the revenue, obviously. Um, but from the language point of view, um, I think one of the complaints, as I understood probably, is the lack of community participation. Or, or maybe even, uh, I, I don't call, I, I don't want to go that far, saying that it is, it is like a discouragement or something, but this is the argument that I keep hearing from a lot of smart people who are, who are in the community. So, is this something that that um, that you know? Do you think is going to be detrimental for closure, or is this something that is also giving you, I don't know, kind of a bad feeling about closure? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see. It's interesting to see where that mm-hmm. ends up. It's a it, the problem is is that it's never a fast thing. It's it's not yeah. like I mean. Any any person who says, you know, if I leave the closure community or I leave, leave this community, it's going to die. It's like, no, no, it's not. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I've I've I don't, I don't think that's the case. But but over time, if you see the exodus of of people and those people aren't replaced, then yeah. then we'll, we'll you know, we may see a problem. I mean, and so and so to make it more concrete, that's that's what I see concerning about the closure community right now is that. Mm. We've gone from two conferences to one. Um, yeah. I I don't know the numbers at the conference, but they haven't been increasing in, st- in size. When I when I've been been to them past in the past, they've kind of more or less the same size, maybe a little smaller. Last I heard, I don't think there's a Euro closure um, plan that I not that I know of. And some of that's been picked up by the European community, and that, that's great. Yeah. Um, and so these are all things that in isolation are no big deal. But mm. one at a time, I, I, I do question, you know, what, what's the lifetime? What's the lifetime are we looking at? You know, is, yeah. I, don't, I don't think closure is going away tomorrow or, or any time mm. after that. But are we going to see a point where the enterprises are the only places that are using it? I mean, I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen that kind of change over time as well in that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you always get the startups, the ones that are willing to take the risk, and then the, the larger companies and larger companies. And there's some large yep. corporations uh, that use Clojure now. Um, mm-hmm. But those are also, the, those also tend to be the tail end, right? They're the last ones to pick up the new technology. So is it going yeah. to be the situation where the startups stop using it altogether and then you have the few enterprises and then they move on and then, you know, 10 years from now or something, that's, that's, that's it. Um, yeah. I don't know. But I, I think, I think what I was going to say before too, it's, it's part of building a community that you have to, mm. the community adapts to the point of view of the, the leadership. 
Um, and I, I think you see this a lot. So I, I enjoy watching Twitch. It's this, <laughs> you know, streaming service where people play video games and you watch them. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's fa- fascinating to me because there's some streamers you go into their stream and they're my age, 35. They got multiple kids. They, you know, have been streaming for five or six years. Highly professional. Right. Someone mm. says something in their chat room that's derogatory and they just say, yeah, that person's banned. We don't talk like that around here, you know. Um, and and over time, the whole community becomes very positive. It's this sort of everyone's encouraging. Someone makes a derogatory comment about someone and it's like, hey, let's be positive. Let's encourage each other, you know. Um, And you contrast that with the, you know, I'm going to generalize here, the the 18-year-old kid (laughs) who's shooting off his mouth all the time. And, and, you know, those are the ones that go on to some other streamer and just harass them or Mm. say the worst things. Or, you know, it's this type of thing that the, the energy, you have to put an energy to to be an example of how people want, uh, how you want people in the community to act in other words. Mm. And, and I think maybe that's, that's, that's what we're lacking in the closure community is, is it's, mm. it, it's maybe okay to say, yeah, it's for experts or, or that mm. sort of thing. And it's tiring. Believe me, I, I've been in the place of trying to mentor people and encourage them and, and that sort of thing. And it is tiring. It's tiring to run an open source project where you have to explain for the 50th yeah. time why you didn't write it this way <laughs> or that way. Um, you know, yes. I get that. But if you ever stop, if you ever yeah. say, I don't want to explain it to you, I'm not that someone yeah. said that, but if you give them the impression, I don't want to explain this to you <laughs> because it would take yeah. too much time. Um, but I think we, we we did cross the critical boundary, right? I mean, to to have the longevity of the of the language. You know, there there are you know people. I think I, I always tend to see. Uh, I I don't participate in Twitter that much because you know it's very it's a very shitty. You're a better man than me. To, yeah. <laughs> no, I I, 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 I I'm basically there to do marketing. Every yeah, now right. and then I need to tweet something, and I'm I'm so careful on saying anything these days. It's like uh, I don't want to get into discussion because I don't have time to <laughs> type the. 280 characters and then come up with a better way because English is not my native language. The, the other day I was just thinking, oh, every every team has scrum master. So how many scrum slaves do we Ouch. have? I'm like, okay, I shouldn't tweet about <laughs> this shit now. So <laughs> that, that level of shitty discussion, I, I can't tolerate. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, so the, I, I was thinking like, you know, that we, we did cross the, uh, the, 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 the boundary of uh, or, or the big hurdle of having a huge um, community around it. But I think uh, the the stewardship is still still with the with the with the core. Uh, so I think maybe if the, if that becomes a bit more open um, for for every one person who is tweeting shit out there, you know, there'll be probably thousand people who are not on Twitter and happily enjoying stuff. So that's that that's the ratio I would think. I would hope so, and that that's that's really the yeah. the question here, right? Is there's no mm. way to know. Um, yeah, I, I have exactly. been told that. You know, for yeah, uh, you know <laughs> that 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 came up, right? Someone's like, you know, uh, why why are you why are you crapping on the, the closure development process? There's hundreds <laughs> of people that that work towards this, and it's like, but there's not. I mean, yeah. I I actually ran Git stats on on closure, you know, and there's <laughs> there's yeah. six commits, the six yeah. six people have committed to closure in the past yeah. year, and mm. many of those were tickets that were submitted years ago. Um, yeah. and 
and I, I see that's that's the that's the problem with the discussion is is mm-hmm. and we don't really have a good way of having a meta discussion about this. You know, I don't I don't hold any ill will towards anyone involved here. Of course, you know? yeah, but it's yeah, a, it's yeah, a self reinforcing yeah. problem. The progress mm-hmm. of closure is so slow because there's not enough people working on it, and there's not mm-hmm. enough people working on it because the process is such that it bottlenecks. Right. That yeah. you, you have a very limited bandwidth of how pa- uh, patches get approved and, and submitted and, and that sort of thing. And so the question, uh, the problem I came into is, OK, I write a patch. I submit it. Mm. Um, I then wait for it to be looked at mm. maybe a week, maybe a month or whatever for someone to say yes, no. OK, that's that's good. That's bad. Once that's done, I have to uh, and someone says, no, you need to fix this thing. I have to get that mm. message, go back fix it, get back in the frame of mind of what was I doing. And, and the whole process is not optimized for my benefit as the contributor. If you, if you read mm-hmm. the contribution project uh, process for closure, it's optimized for the uh, head developer of the project, right? The way patches yeah. are created, um, the way they're accepted, the tracking system, everything. I found myself spending sometimes, you know, if there's a small typo, I spend more time creating the patch in the acceptable way than actually doing yeah. the work. And that just discourages, uh, it discourages involvement because mm. the question for me becomes, would I rather spend my time? Some of it's going to be wasted building yeah. the patch and, and getting in and doing all this or mm. something where I can have more of an impact. Yeah. Well, I mean, Tim, um, yeah. I think there's two discussions here. We've talked about meta discussions. So I think it's a good one. I mean, to me, if there was, if there was a sort of process which was, yeah, you've, you need to correct your typo, correct this, correct that. Do you do your patch like this? Do your patch like that? Um, and but that that process was like one or two days, you know. Um, and the and the feedback loop was pretty quick. You were still in the frame. You still made the thing, and then you get it accepted because you know because you've done everything that's been asked of you. Then you get it accepted, mm-hmm. and then a week later you see, oh, it's merged. Fucking awesome. And I did that to Closure Script, by the way, um, yeah. a few weeks ago. I've never done any committing to Closure or Closure Script, but and I picked up a very tiny, tiny little problem. I mean, it was pathetic. You know, it really was. But I thought, I'd right, I'll go through the process of setting it all up. And, you know, it was, it, was, it was nice. I mean, I don't like making all these patches and stuff like that, but the people who were doing it, who were reviewing it, were, were very supportive, very straightforward, and... And they corrected me on a few things, and and even my code was wrong. And I well, maybe you should do it like this. And wow, you know, okay, I might as well. Have, I mean, basically, they should have written it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but now I've got my name on a very tiny bit of closure script code for in their test suite. Great, you know, I feel good about it, you know, and I'll probably do a bit more. Um, and that that lit- that process of picking up the ticket, doing it, took me like a day you know, to get through all that process. And then maybe it's a couple of days to go backwards and forwards to to get this. And again, it was totally trivial. But it, it was always active. Right. It was always like the feedback loop was always there, you know. I never felt like it had been dropped into a kind of chasm. And I think that's what I mm. find a little bit, you know, when I look at the Jira tickets, you know, on the closure side of that Jira, I'm like, this, this patch has been there for five fucking years. So someone says it doesn't work anymore. Everyone's lost interest. Why should I pick it up, make some changes to it, prove that it works with 1.10, for example, or prove that it fails and make some corrections for 1.10, and then let, let it wait another five years? I mean, I, I just, I'm all for optimizations in some way, you know, but for fuck's sake, 
things have to get through. That's not optimal anymore. <laughs> if nothing ever gets through, it's not optimal. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating because I was thinking a lot about this the past couple of weeks. I realized, wait a minute, I, I do this every day at work. Yeah. Right? The, the mentality, the mentality on most projects in the professional space is you create the PR, you throw it up there. Um, if someone doesn't comment on it in like three days, someone's yeah. probably just going to auto merge yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, <laughs> apparently no one cared enough, yeah. you know, and, and there's, and there is that, that, you know, slap the hand thing where it's like, whoa, you committed something to master and it broke the build, yeah. you know? So, so don't do that. But, but on the other yeah. hand, if I commit something to master and it doesn't break the build and it was bad, maybe we need better tests or maybe, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Um, development, yeah. this or that or the other, you know? And, and that, that, that really is, I, I, that's, that's why what I said, what I said before is that it's optimized, not for the contributor. Mm -hmm. it, it's optimized yeah. for the, um, time of the head maintainer of the I project. Mean, see, the thing know. is, I, I look yeah. at like two, two ways of this. I mean, I think there's kind of like, like there's, um, there's a let's say bugs and features, you know. I mean, to me, like the 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 way that bugs get fixed should be in a different channel to the way that features get introduced. Because if I've got a, I mean, I, I know this is a blurred line, but but you know, hear me out. <laughs> in general, there's a there's a column A and a column B, and I get that there's sometimes a little bit of both. But generally, if you've got a bug, you've got a test case, you can prove it, and I've got a line that can fix it. Or two lines, or whatever, and I'm not changing the behavior of this of this thing, you know, apart from making it work as advertised. Then that should go through pretty quickly, because you're not changing. It. All you're doing is fixing people's code. You know, you're just making life better for everyone. You know, because they've got that feature. So that to me should be like, why the fuck doesn't that take five minutes? You know, to get fixed. And then if someone wants a feature, somebody wants to write some library like Core Sync or whatever. You know, so some instrumentation for it, some some extra things. Then there's a discussion there about that. You know, that's a more wide ranging, and maybe that is like, well, I don't know if this is right. I don't know if it's with the in the spirit of the language or whatever. But have that discussion in the open because then people can get used to what that spirit is. To what what is what are the what are the design flavors? Yes. The design. Uh, what's the phrase? The design, sim uh, fuck, the design taste. The, the, there's a phrase for it. What are the, what are the, the, <laughs> philosophy, the design yeah, philosophy, yeah. the design patterns, the, what, what is it? What, what, what are people yeah. looking, what's the principles on which you're basing this thing? Cause then I can write my code to match those principles, to match that philosophy, or I can just say, fuck it, you know, but for people that want to agree with you and, and say, okay, actually, I, I like your design taste. Uh, that's what I was looking for, you know. I like your taste in design and many people like witches taste in design, you know, but if it was a bit more obvious, like, well, yeah, I don't like this bit of code or that bit of code. I'm not very happy about that style of way of doing things or that way of doing things. If that was a bit more open, then my thinking is that you'd get more people contributing more stuff. If indeed you wanted to bottleneck it that way, you know, if you don't want to bottleneck it that way, if you want to just say, okay, make it free, which is the way he wants to do it, obviously. So it, Let's do it that way then. Let's be just more open about it because then people will do what you want. Yeah, and I think the the thing that this has been said several times, but I think the thing people don't realize is that that's not the way closure is. I mean, and, and, and let, you know, let's, back up, let's back up and say for any of us, if we go and we spend a, a 
big chunk of our lives writing a programming mm. language, writing a project. What is the incentive to listen to what anyone else has to say um, yeah. about it? And, and, and well, can, can I say something about that? Because you can write what you want. If you've got five people using it, fuck them. You know, they're, they're your fans. So, you know, you right. can listen to them if you want to, but you can just say, look, guys, I know what I'm doing and I'm doing it this way. So, you know, it's my time. Fuck off. I'm just, you know, I'm just carrying, I'm just muscling through. And what you say, yeah, might give a shit, might not do. You've got 10,000 people using it. It's not like that anymore. Sorry. You were going to say that probably. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. It, you know, you, you, what you said is, is very true, but there's still no reason why they can't continue to exist in that way, right? It, it, as long as you're okay with the, the long-term consequences. And the long-term consequences yeah. is that some people, like myself, will say, closure is a fantastic language and I'll use it at work, but I'm, I'm past it now. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that um, I, and, and I, I don't think that had to be the case. I, I, think, I think I would still be working on Core Async now if I, well, hey, was allowed to work on it as far as design. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I could make improvements, yeah. bug fixes or whatever, but that's the extent of what I'm uh, more or less allowed to do. Um, yeah. And, and, but, but see, that's, that's the thing is if you're, if your goal is to write a language that you are happy using, that helps you with your work, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with running it the way closure, the closure is, yeah. you know, of course. but, but, but it's not a long-term solution. I don't think because there comes a point where, people move on and and once the people move yeah. on they're not going to ask their companies to use it they're not going to you know yeah 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 support and yeah. but concretely i mean do you think it's it's a, it's a good idea as a community to to ask for something like you know scala improvement process or you know a pep uh, something like that uh, yeah i mean it's <laughs> I'm just, I'm just wondering because I, I think it's like we can keep, we can keep on uh, uh, identifying the problem multiple times. I don't know if any of the, uh, I'm pretty sure at least one or two persons from Cognitect will will listen to this uh, this stuff. So I'm just wondering, is, is this something that 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 will help the the, uh, you know, the 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 people uh, contributing to the to the ideas and the designs and, and the stuff like that? Because as Ray was pointing out, you know, there are like two two areas like bug fixes and then yeah. the feature stuff. The feature stuff could be like the closure improvement process or closure enhancement process, whatever we want to call it. I don't care. You know, that more community input, for example. Yeah, I, I think so. This is there's a fascinating thing here and that I've, I've met two types of people in the open source community. And and mm -hmm. I, I want to make this fairly clear. I'm not talking about Rich or Stu yeah. when I say this, but I have yeah. heard people <laughs> say um, you know, why do I care what the community thinks? Because yeah. they don't understand the project like I do, or, or they're just a bunch of whiny people that, that want <laughs> whatever feature, or even the bugs features thing, yeah. right? I, yeah, I, exactly. I've heard it said by people, you know, one person's feature and one person's <laughs> bug is another person's feature, right? It's like, and, and you can run to that problem in closure too, right? The fact yeah. that, that set union enclosure takes vectors and actually does something is that mm. a feature or a bug right i could go in i could fix mm. all of that but does mm. that maintain backwards compatibility i don't know and that that kind of goes back to what my my thing with about building communities is is i've mm. also worked in other communities i i really recommend 
Um, there's a talk by Peter Hitchens back in. Is that his name? I believe it's the same. Um, Peter Hitchens. Leader of the Oz. Yes. I always use the yeah. wrong last name there. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Zero MQ, the leader of the Zero yeah, MQ community yeah. from back in uh, 2013. And, uh, and he his philosophy around this sort of thing was doing what I said for, for PRs, but doing that for features, right? If someone wants to add mm-hmm. a feature and everyone's like, yeah, sounds good. And that's just where the conversation ends, put the feature in, you know, yeah. or, or they yeah. say, you know, um, uh, this is a feature I never use. I'm going to yank it out in this pull request and it sits there for a month. And then mm-hmm. it, or even a day, a day or two, and it gets auto merged. Right. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. someone says, wait a minute, that was, I used that feature or maybe they don't. You know, the fact is, is that what if closure 11 or, you know, mm-hmm. 1.11 doesn't have feature X that you use? So the question is, do you upgrade your code or do you yeah. just not upgrade that version of closure? I mean, that's, there's nothing that says that feature has to always exist, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I've, uh, that, that whole mentality is, is so foreign to some circles of, of open source development. That idea mm-hmm. that, that we would just accept um, features that other people want or, you know, um, yeah. you know, they, they can go get their own project, let them fork it, build their own thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> of course. I think just, just um, before anyway, we go on, so, I think there is a fetishization yeah. around um, backward compatibility. And, uh, and I, I respect that, actually, because I think people do, you know, people are writing their code and... Um, you know, I think it's a bit weird to break it. So I think that, like, the zero MQ is like definitely way an extreme way for sure. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, it's an interesting way. Um, I think it. I think from his perspective, it was a way to scale the project, because mm-hmm. you know, yeah. how are you going mean, to zero MQ? How are you going to scale it? You know, there's. I mean, I think everyone agrees this with every every bit of software in the world is that there's only a certain amount of time and space in the world. You know. And only people have only got so many hours in the day. So you need to have, if you're going to increase, if, you, if you're going to, if you're going to have more features, if you're going to have better features, you need to increase the bandwidth of that project. That's the only way to do it. Or at least, you know, maintain that bandwidth and not have it, not have it, you know, brought down. So, so the question mm-hmm. is, how much bandwidth do you want? You know, because that's a knob you can turn, you know. That bandwidth can yeah, go and up that's, or down. That's the question. Yeah. That's the question I think we're at right yeah. now in the closure community is, is how much do we need? I mean, I, I hear people say, I, I heard my coworker said it four years ago. I, don't, I can't think of a feature that I want that closure doesn't have, you know, and I, mm-hmm. yeah, that's valid. Um, yeah. On the other hand, hey, it'd be nice if all of closure core was spec'd. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. that's a lot of work <laughs> that that would isn't being done. And we could probably yeah. crowdsource something along those yeah, yeah. lines. Um, yes, but uh, some of it would be. Some yeah. of, I mean, my guess as well is a lot of that stuff. You know, probably eighty percent of it, ninety percent of it would be uninteresting. You know, it would be kind of just boring stuff. You know, no one would really argue about it. You know, but there would be there would be twenty percent, which was actually, yeah, actually, I'm not quite sure how this works. You know, or you know, like like the the case you gave. You know. But a lot of it is just boring stuff, you know. It's just, it's, it's just grunt work, basically, for another, for want of a better phrase, you know, that the community could easily pick mm-hmm. up, you know. And then 
yeah, you'd have some arguments or you could put a pin in the ones that were more tricky. But that's how you increase yeah. the bandwidth. You know, you don't necessarily have to have to uh, you know decrease the quality. You can you can say, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. take eighty percent of this stuff and, and make an improvement over these things. And actually, you find out where the problems are that way. I think having that discussion. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And I think I think what that requires, like you said, mentorship. Yeah. It requires it requires. <laughs> unfortunately, what it requires is the person uh, with the authority to do the mentorship yeah, yeah. because uh, you know, Hey, I worked in core async for a long time and I can't tell you how many questions I answered of why doesn't core async do X? Well, I asked rich about this and such <laughs> and such. There's, there's a, there's a problem there in that, in that to some, and sometimes I don't agree with it. Maybe I hmm. agree with the person, but, but they asked why it doesn't have it. And the, the answer is, is that is that rich has a, a counter argument of some point. Right. Um, hmm. But but that also introduces latency, right? If every time I ask yeah, a question yeah. of of uh, Alex, he has to ask Rich yeah. or whatever. That that's that slows the process down. Yeah. And obviously, yeah. that's great. He he's going to get cranky about that, but he has to fix it. Why doesn't he just <laughs> say, "Okay, I'm only going to take three questions a day, and only really super important ones. The other ones, let's just move forward." Yeah. You know? Well, oh, right, right. So, so that's that's what I mean by the optimization yeah, yeah. process. Is that is that I as a I as a person uh, who wants to contribute to closure has no way have no way currently of talking to the person who makes the decisions about. It. Yeah, closure. there's no devolution basically. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no trust. There's no what. There's no. I mean, like, there, there is trust obviously, but the, but that trust is very very tightly controlled. You know. Of who actually does all this kind of committing to the core, and- right? Any question I ask, any question I ask is filtered through through Alex, and then and then perhaps to Rich, or maybe Alex can answer my question yeah, or whatever, yeah. right? But but there's there's yeah. signal loss. It's yeah. it's playing the telephone yeah. game right, and that sort of thing. And mm. so yeah, if you if you and so so it's an optimized process where now yes, Rich can focus on the things that are important. Um, the cost of that, I believe, is then you you lose people mm. that maybe would have want to, wanted to help. Yeah. Um, so um, I think, uh, how many hours have you spent in Skyrim so far? <laughs> yeah, I looked that up uh, actually just the other day. It's like over 400, somewhere in there. So. Oh, cool. Because I, I started playing Skyrim on Xbox mostly and then to a point where, you know, like my wife started managing my skyrim life and then you know like i had to ask her you know oh where is this uh, i don't know ebony whatever the thingy and and she's like oh that's in white run in, in white yeah, run right. in this in this in this the upper <laughs> level and in, in the drawer and so <laughs> we started managing the whole shit and then i'm like okay this is the time i should stop now yes <laughs> but w- one of the best games ever i played it is it's very amazing. much and it, if for those amazing. who ever care um it is fascinating to me that the entire game is basically developed on top of a database so all the items, oh. all the locations have a record-based database, and people have backward engineered it in uh, in Pascal of all languages, Delphi. Um, so oh. there's uh, like no JS wrappers for that library and stuff. So the cool thing is, is you have programmatic wrappers to the database format, so you can add add-ons and mods to the game that say, "Hey, Whoa. let's go through and you know give every bandit in the entire game a health potion so he lives longer." Um, and, and things like that. <laughs> cool. And then the other thing that's done, it's this is you know, on PC, there's this thing called SKSE, which is mm-hmm. written by a bunch of developers who won't give out their names because they work for um, gaming companies, but they reverse yeah. engineered the executable. So they found out oh. where all the 
C++ classes are in the game <laughs> and installed hooks. So they extended the in-game scripting engine with hooks. It's basically a virus. Yeah, you yeah, load yeah. up SKSE, yeah, it yeah, loads yeah. up Skyrim <laughs> with all its hooks in it. Um, and, uh, and you can do all sorts of crazy stuff. Of course, once you get to like 200 mods or 400 mods, it, it gets to be a mess. So there's a thing called mod <laughs> organizer that adds another layer on that. Um, and it reroutes all the file system commands in the game. So whenever the, the Skyrim says, go get this texture from disk, it reroutes it through mod organizer. And it says, oh, that's in this folder here. So it keeps all of your mods in a very organized place and then rearranges wow. the file structure. Um, and, I'm, I'm not at that level. <laughs> yeah. And then there's another thing called ENB that hooks into the graphics driver and rewrites all the graphics routines to have better graphics. So the three of those things together are the core of any modded setup. And now you know why I have no time for you. <laughs> so your Emacs is Skyrim. Yeah, exactly. It's like I hear people talk about Emacs and it's like, I, wow, I can tell it to you about the about form IDs and how those uh, are ordered in and affect the, the, you know, why that guy in the, in that game at that position has a different color head than a body. I can tell you that, but I don't have time oh, wow. to tell you about Emacs or learning. You know? I think we should have a Skyrim episode. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. 11 year old game that continues yeah. to have new improvements done every day by modders. It's something like 200,000 mods. Uh, wow. Out there for oh, shit. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's where closure will end up then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think everybody will start patching everything. Maybe, yes. maybe that's the, the thing that make, makes Rich break out in a sweat at night. <laughs> I I have actually thought of I have I have actually thought of combining SKSE <laughs> with a REPL so I can have a closure REPL into Skyrim. Uh but that, that is going to happen pretty soon with Arcadia and all that shit, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, when, yeah. once we have that one, then then you have a REPL and then you can do whatever you like. Crazy stuff. That, that'll yeah. be super fun. Okay. Anyway, um, so, uh, of course, you, you're, you're spending all the day writing closure, closure stuff still. So... Uh, what are maybe a couple of things that, that you actually enjoy <laughs> in, in within closure? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, closure continues to be uh, just... You know, the thing that continues to astound me about it is how fast it is. Um, hmm. You know, I I write some uh, database code that does optimizations, logic engine, stuff like that. And you write some optimization pass that's you know, like O-N something or other. And then you run yeah. it and you're like, oh, it's going to be slow. And it completes in 23 milliseconds or whatever. And you're like, okay, you know, that works. And, and that thing uses multi-methods and allocates memory all over the place. And it's just it's just shocking to me how fast closure is for, yeah. for what it does. Um, yeah. Almost every enterprise place I've worked at, I've looked at code and I'm like, this is, this is slow. This is going to be terrible. And then you look yeah. at your web response times and it's like 200 milliseconds and, and no one cares at that point, mm. you know, it's fast. Yeah. Enough. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, in that sense, closure is a, is a huge success in the sense that mm. it's a language that I want to use every day at work. Mm -hmm. um yeah and, and a lot of that is is due to closures um pragmatism uh the yeah. fact that it runs on the jvm and doesn't try to do silly stuff like make everything a go macro you yeah, know? yeah. Um, <laughs> so um, you had that one you had that pr ban did you <laughs> well no no i mean uh so so like like erjang is erlang on the uh the jvm oh, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. funny thing is yeah. erjang is actually faster than erlang right. or at least it was last i checked 
um, just because the JVM is that fast. Yeah. But they do full program. Yeah. I think uh, Jay Ruby was like that, wasn't it, actually? Yeah, now, Pulsar. Yeah, Pulsar yeah, yeah. is uh, it, um, a library that does that for closure. So as you load your classes, it rewrites them using a Go macro type mm-hmm. thing. So your entire program uh, is your entire, uh, yeah, your entire service is, is written in that style, um, yeah. and it's transparent, and that's great. But of course, you have you know trade offs. <laughs> trade offs, <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Okay, um, I think we are almost one hour forty five minutes. All wow, right. well, hey, that's, that's a pretty pushed it out a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Just it's good that the <laughs> clocks went back today in Europe because otherwise it would be. <laughs> <laughs> of course, your biological so, clocks are still probably yeah. like stuck on the other time. So right, <laughs> I, I have I have no idea. So I think we I think I still feel like it's nine o'clock or something. Yeah. I think, yeah. Anyway, so any um, uh, of course, uh, Tim, when you have to come back because we probably you know there are a lot of other topics that we want to discuss oh, and um, yeah, um, really especially with the logic programming stuff. Any any concluding uh, thoughts? Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good that's a good question. Apart from everybody should play Skyrim. Yeah, yeah play, <laughs> play, play Skyrim. Um, no, yeah, it's uh, I guess keep learning. You know, uh, about uh, four years ago, I I read a paper on uh, Mini Canron, Mu Canron, you know, the logic programming stuff, and that's uh, I've done so much work on that uh, in the past few mm. years uh, professionally mm. you know um yeah. if you don't understand the, the philosophy i've always had in in computer programming is if you don't understand something that's fine but if you want to pick a time and just decide you're going to become an expert or at least become dangerous in that thing, <laughs> you know right um uh at one point i didn't understand how networking works protocols wiring ip yeah, addresses yeah. and all that and i focused like on that for a year and at the end of the year i helped the, the school I was at, I helped rewrite the whole network system and we switched to a NAT based system and, and, oh, and, cool. you know, multiple subnets and VPNs or, uh, you know, VLANs and that stuff. And, and, you know, Hey, it was enough to be dangerous with, right. Yeah. Same thing with yeah. logic <laughs> engines. Lot of closure, no one can get in that too, machine you know? in that school anymore. Now, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. No, but if you don't understand, uh, if you don't understand closure or a list or something, uh, you know, sit down and, and just give it a year or something of yeah. free time. I think what, what or even maybe not that. I much think time. what's <laughs> nice is that I mean because we we I mean we uh, I don't know if we're like accused of it or like proud of it, but we you know we we this is a very closure focused podcast, and it's you know mm-hmm. it's all about closure and and the community and the kind of like the 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 programming language and the people and all that kind of stuff. And and I think that's really good, but it is nice also to, to kind of explore what's outside of that uh, echo chamber, you know, um, and have, have different, yeah, different things. Like you say, Elixir is an interesting language, you know, F sharp is an interesting language. You know, there are plenty of languages out there that are kind of Mm -hmm. interesting. You know, I got into OCaml myself recently, you know, and um, I'm not going to leave the bar, with or camel, you know, right. <laughs> I've still got my main squeeze, you know, but, but you yeah. know, I like to look occasionally. I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think it's, it, yeah, it's got some deficiencies, some things I don't like about it, but there's certainly some advantage, some nice things, some advantages for different, for smaller platforms. And, you know, so it's nice to talk to people like you who've got such a breadth of experience in, in programming languages and, you know, and core skills like that to, to understand 
some of the benefits of looking around and also some of the kind of like different perspectives that, uh, that are around in this like huge world of programming, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I have a fascination for um, programming semantics, mm. data flow programming, logic programming, uh, constraint programming. You know, all, there's all these different ways, not just imperative and declarative, but there's dynamic and static and untyped languages. And, you know, the list goes on. It, um, there's a what is the Wikipedia thing? I think it's just programming um, uh, paradigms. Uh, is the hmm. Wikipedia article, I think it is. But on the left, on the right side of the, yeah, on the right side of the page, there's just a list of like 20 different programming paradigms, object-oriented, functional, <laughs> constraint-based. And start rating hmm. them, you know? Just like, yeah, well, yeah. What, what is a constraint-based program? You know, what, is, what does that mean? How is that different from a logic programming? How is it different from, you know? And yeah, it, there's lots of stuff out there. And it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, like you said, there is a certain amount of an echo chamber in, 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 in any language, you know, sure, there's this sure. philosophy in languages that if you're, if your language doesn't have a way of talking about something, you, um, have a problem understanding it. And so, mm. uh, they, they've done some experience with this and depending who you believe it, it's real or not, but, but that in some cultures they would call, you know, um, a certain color of green and a certain color of blue, yes, the same color, yes. you know, yeah. and yeah. that, like and that we see the difference in Westernized yeah. cultures, but in these other cultures, they, that's the same color, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. but they had like 30 variants of blue that we can never see, yeah. you know? And so exactly. as I look at that in programming, it's the same sort of thing. It's like, if, you know, uh, if, if a function is just a procedure call, you're not even going to mm. think about higher order programming or even be able mm. to, reason in that concept so yeah it behooves us to think about um things that that we could do if we weren't limited by the jvm or limited by um any language or specific platform yeah okay so um again i think uh it's time to conclude yes. for this episode <laughs> at least uh Thanks a lot, Tim, for all the for all the hard work and co-racing and all of the things. Absolutely. And especially, I think, uh, I'm not sure if you're going to uh, produce more uh, closure, learning closure yeah, screencasts. Yeah, yeah, I've done some videos uh, of that in the past, and I probably probably yeah. will in the future. I'm yeah. not quite sure where we'll go with that. but uh, uh, So what was the URL again? Sorry. I, I, on YouTube. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, for the videos and stuff I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the site I'm on is uh, is called PivotShare. Uh, that's kind of like yeah. YouTube, but they have a better subscription model than YouTube. So it's, it's uh, T Baldridge yeah. at dot pivotshare.com. Actually, just closure videos, I think, too. Yeah, closure uh, videos by uh, videos.com, I think. Let me let me make sure that is the yeah. domain. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So closurevideos.com. Um, yeah. And so check, check that out. Uh, and then, uh, of course, I mean, Hopefully you'll continue working in closure more and more. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> then, yeah, I mean, and then one day. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a uh, uh, closure's not going anywhere soon. I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna yeah. switch languages any soon. It's not. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a, you know, of course. I mean, you compared it. You compared it earlier to some sort of dating situation, <laughs> right? It's 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 not a it's not a you know. Um, one a, a violent breakup right, right, or right. anything. It's just it's like <gasps> what could have been. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It 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 is not you. It is Pixie. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah okay. right. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, that's that fun research project. That's the fun, that's something that um I think it was Craig and Dara 
uh, was a coworker of mine who I think he was the one who brought this up. That's, you know, the importance it was either him or, or Mike uh, focus forget which one of them hmm. talked about, you know, the importance of like, of just having ideas, prototype the idea, yeah, yeah. throw it away. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. you don't have to finish something to learn. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay. So on that bombshell, <laughs> we'll, we'll try to conclude this uh, two Absolutely. hour episode probably i think we'll we'll make it uh two episodes i'm not sure then then obviously we'll reach 42 you know, <laughs> there you go that, that's yes that. <laughs> finally I, I got the holy number yes <laughs> maybe it's 41 in 41 and uh, i'm sorry to spoil the party you know <laughs> <laughs> i will just skip 42 yeah. completely until tim comes back again and then we'll yeah. say oh we'll okay, bring you back to 30, 37, okay. <laughs> there we go <laughs> and okay that's it from us uh for uh for uh for today uh fantastic discussion again uh we'll see you around on, on the internet uh tim hopefully you'll come back Absolutely. and then uh, give us more of your uh, wisdom <laughs> i look yeah. forward to it well it's coming yeah. back i don't know about wisdom all right stay on the line now <laughs> we're gonna stop the youtube but stay on the line <laughs> all right yes. sounds good bye bye